Welcome to Eel to Bed and Song. Your customs limit remains eight Eurovision songs and one luxury. Paging John Jacob to the customs desk. And welcome, Ellie calling. Once more, we're back on the beautiful Ile de Besançon, where it's slightly busy in the customs hall, even though it's still early May. The sun is shining, the temperature is just on the warm side of comfortable, and coffee and local beverages are free. But we have a very restricted policy on musical imports. Every Eurovision fan who comes here is restricted to eight records for the duration of their stay and I'm going to interview them thoroughly to find out why they want that specific eight. <laughs> also for some reasons there's also a luxury at the end which I don't know we'll get to when we get to. Unlike other castaway destinations we don't give you the Bible and Shakespeare. We give you Waterloo and Valare which at least have consistent rhyme schemes. And through the throng of the customs hall, I see we've got a corpse in Castaway. <laughs> Hello, hi. Hi, hi. Uh, name please. Um, John Jacob. And your connection to this Eurovision thing? Uh, <laughs> uh, I've done some stuff with ESE Insight um, over a few years, and I've been to the Eurovision a few times, and I've done um, a podcast with Ellie Chalkley. I don't know if you're aware of her. Is that the one we're doing now, or a different no, one? No, a different one. A couple okay. of years ago, I think when when you when you referred to uh, recording the podcast as being no, no, that was going to Stockholm. Was it? Yes. So that anyway, was that? thanks. Okay, thanks fine, for okay. the explicit tag. <laughs> <laughs> so let's actually get down to formal formalities. Okay. The first record is Denmark's 1963 breakthrough, Danservice, by Greta and Jürgen Ingemand. Let's take a listen. Okay, John, why is this song so special to you? Uh, I think it's utterly gorgeous. I think it's uh, got uh, an exquisite sophistication about it. And I discovered it as a result of... Years ago, I found on a message board that there was someone who would provide you with video copies of contests. So this is before YouTube started. And I had only been aware from listings of, you know, as in from histories of the Eurovision, that, that Denmark had won with this song. I'd never heard the song. And then I received this video and played it and immediately fell in love with it. Just on a technical detail. Yes. When you say video, are you uh, meaning VHS? <laughs> I am. I am meaning VHS. Oh, yes. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. That's, so that's how I got to know it. And I fell in love with it the first time. And then when I went to go and 
when I went to go and work at the BBC, I ended up working in an office which was basically two floors above the studio that that contest was in. And, and I sort of got a little bit transported into a mix of nostalgia and, um, and the music and the, 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 the excitement around the event. And, and, and it's the, for me, it's the only song in that contest which has any kind of style or sophistication. Uh, and Greta is gorgeous. She's absolutely gorgeous and remains gorgeous in all of the myriad of live performances that the pair did after that. Um, and also, it, the measure of a good song, it is something which uh, allows multiple treatments. It can be, you know, a good song is, is one which can be treated in a variety of different ways. Uh, and that's one of a handful of Eurovision songs that does that. Um, I want to take it. I want to take it with me, please. I think Dance Me is very interesting because there is a sort of a clear through line between that song and the sort of more folkloric modern Nordic songs. Hmm. Um, it's that borrowing from traditional music, but still keeping it very much within a pop sensibility hmm. that I think provided it with, you know, a breakthrough and a sort of cutting through the chanson a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a restless quality to it as well. So harmonically, it seems to, it seems to switch from major to minor throughout the song. And I find that really, on an emotional level, I find that really quite satisfying. I thought it's quite it was, authentic. I thought it was modal. Uh, it is modal, but in terms of key, as in major or minor, it does. There are elements that are in the major key and elements are in the minor key, uh, and and that's what for me that's what gives it that. You're never quite sure whether it's got a hint of menace in it. Um, a very distant, low-level, soft kind of menace, but um, and it's only ever resolved right on the final chord, where there's a where there's a tear to Piketty, and and that final chord is so so satisfying because it depends on one note in the guitar, uh, and I get ridiculously excited about those kind of details in a song. Let's just listen to that chord. So you've got it. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I. It's early <laughs> in the process, so I'm going to go easy on you. Okay. You can have that one. Fine, okay. We'll just put that in. Fine. Yeah, but you, you can have that. That's safe. Yeah. Okay, I'm aware that we've got more than... I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't really appreciated... We'll get that. back. We'll get to that later. Okay. We'll get to All that right. later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so your second <clears throat> record is Mono y Agapi. This is the legendary Anna Vissi singing for Cyprus in 1982. <laughs> So much Elnet on that. <laughs> so we've just listened to Mono e Agape, and I don't know. I am just guessing, but is this record maybe connected with your origin as a Eurovision fan? Uh, 
No. Oh, no, do you not, just no. like it? No, I just like it. And the reason... I No, it's not. But that's interesting, and that makes me want to go, what makes you think that? Uh, just, <laughs> like, the year. Oh, no, it's not. I mean, I don't remember... I remember watching that contest and being terribly excited because it was in Harrogate. Those things are not really Don't they Esther Harrogate? Yeah, um, indeed, yes. Uh, but do that you wasn't even have a Eurovision origin story, or were you just born fully formed... <laughs> Um, singing Te Deum. Uh, 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 do I? Yeah, I do. And that's not, And that was the year before. And that was when my babysitter was charged with looking after me. And and she she fell asleep. And so as a result, I was able to stay up later to watch the Eurovision. But as soon as she woke up, I was sent to bed and I wasn't able to see the scores. But that's for a whole other time. I'd suggest. There's nothing from 1981 in this. No, no, no. I mean, it's it, like... You know, your first few contests when you were a kid, it's all about just staying up late, isn't yes, it? Yes, indeed. Um, and the only reason I could do that was because she fell asleep. And to be honest, as an adult, sometimes the contest is mainly about the excitement of staying up very, very, very late. Or the challenge of staying awake. Very late. Yeah. Um, so tell me about this song. Uh, so I love this because... Um, melodically, it's really strong. Uh, and actually, when I was going through all of these songs what became apparent was that melody is really important to me. Uh, the lyrics don't necessarily help it because there's quite a lot of repetition. And so by the end of it, when you've heard the chorus three or four times, it becomes quite grating. But, but melodically, uh, it's just a series of sort of falling sequences. And I find that really, really satisfying, quite nurturing and as... There's something quite beguiling about that. It's quite unusual for a Eurovision song to base itself around falling sequences because uh, now that people are sort of composing to win rather than composing mm, yeah. for art's sake, there's a lot of rising and striving yeah. going on. Yeah, it's a little, like a constant never-ending song, really. The fact that it arrives at an end is, is, is uh, a function of it needing to be three minutes long, but actually it could carry on uh, forever, really. The, the ultimate song purely composed of rising sequences was Ukraine 2013, Gravity, which is just a bridge that repeats and repeats and rises and rises and rises and then it just ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't think that's, that, that's, that's, um, that's not satisfying at all because it's just leaving the audience hanging. This, this doesn't do that. This yeah. doesn't leave the audience this hanging. This is the exact opposite of that. Um, and... But it's just a rather, it's a rather sweet, beguiling song, terribly simple. And in the live mix, in the live vocals, the backing singers, I think, are outstanding. It's a really sort of tight harmony that accompanies the solo. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Excellent. It's always nice to see the backing singers plying their trade, especially when they're doing something really noticeable like tight harmony, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't yes. stick them down a ramp, <laughs> honestly. It's true, it's true, because they, they form an integral part of the overall sound. And um, you've flown them all the way out. Stand absolutely. them on the stage. <laughs> absolutely. Give them, the, give them their three minutes. I am content. Okay, right. Yeah. For... I'll accept I, it. Yeah, I'll accept okay, fine, it. Fine, fine, all right. You, you, yeah. Yes. Fine. You've convinced I... me on that, I think. We've, so we've we got off to a strong start. Yes. Okay. So... I mean, I've got a query about the next one. I've got an assumption about the next one, but... Okay, okay. Well, I mean, 
for your next record, your third record, we're going to France in the late 80s, 1988. <laughs> yes, we are. Gerard Lenormand, Chanteau de Charme. It's a bit in my Eurovision dead zone, so Is let's it? have a listen. <laughs> Um, uh, so if, if the previous two were about melody and sophistication, this one is about harmony and, and harmonic progression because there are endless chords in this which make it feel really uh, rich and it's like, a, it's like a rich gravy, all of the chords that go through this song. Um, there are some dims there. There are some... Some dims? Some, some diminished... Yes. Oh, yes. So yes. yes, there are some diminished, uh, and and that's sort of quite scrunchy. And there's also, I think, I'm right in saying, I have done a bit of reading around this. I think I'm right in saying that there's there are one or two false relations in there as well, which Ooh. is what makes it. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yeah. Which is what makes those sort of the false relations which need resolving in the melody. For the non-music theory nerds who might be uh, listening at the customs desk, because we're definitely a real customs desk, uh, yes, would you like to explain uh, what a false relation is? Uh, so my understanding of a false relation is that if a bar of music is written in a particular key with either sharps or flats, then a false relation would be a deliberate subversion of one of those notes into... A natural. So, for example, if you're if you're in D major, I didn't expect to be saying this, but if you're in D major, then you would be, then a particular bar would be, would use an F sharp and a C sharp. A false relation in that bar would be deliberately using F natural. I think I'm right about that. It's. I think I'm right. The, the feeling that you get from a false relation is it's a little bit like going for a stare that isn't there. Yes. But in yes. a good way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it always needs to be resolved. And then when you when it gets resolved uh, with the right note, um, then there's a sort of a oh that was nice. Uh, it's it's um, it's a musical equivalent of having salted caramel biscuits. Uh, that that sort of rather delightful combination of salt and sugar, uh, which is incredibly Moorish. The entire track is incredibly Moorish. Um, he he's not. He's not the greatest performer, so his voice is quite shaky in the live vocal. Um, and, and when he hits the top notes, there is a sort of a sense, let's hope you don't have to hold on for this for too much longer, otherwise you're going to let it slip and it's not going to be very good. But, but I, just, I just find it incredibly sort of, it has a continental feel about it. And in the, in the live performance with the orchestra behind him... Um, and seeing him on his own on what looks like a massive stage, there's something rather delightfully vulnerable about him. Uh, and he's singing his heart out, and it's incredibly heartfelt. Um, Is it not a bit metatextual as well? Because he's there being a charming singer, singing a song about being a charming singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, the, the, the only time when it falls down is when I sort of look at him carefully and think, actually... 
as lovely as the song is and as great as the entire effect is, actually, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily describe him as a charming-looking singer, uh, although, obviously, in his DJ, he looks quite good. Um, uh, but I just, I just love it. I do feel incredibly uplifted at the end of it. I don't understand why it would be in your dead zone, though. Because I was five... Okay, I think I might possibly have insulted the customs officer. <laughs> uh, which I was is presumably five. a bad move. I was five and didn't really understand all the music theory. Right, okay. I, in fairness, uh, in my defence, I didn't really... Um, I, I didn't approach the songs <laughs> in the Eurovision from a music theory point of view. Well, just you so are that now. we're clear. Just you so are that now. We're clear. This I didn't is, this do is, that. This is why, this is, uh, this is the strength that you're asking me to accept Chanteau de Charme And now. I would say, I would say, there are two caveats to what I'm about to say, but I'd say that it's, it's in the same stable as Naparte Passonois, mm-hmm. um, but it is a more satisfying listen than Celine Dion song. Oh, there'll be complaints. I know, I know. Who cares? Uh, even though Chandra de Charme has endless modulations, I mean shameless modulations, and in two places where the underlying chords modulate, or when the underly- underlying key modulates, he's still hanging on to a note. He's still singing a note, which doesn't quite work. Um, but like I say, I wasn't listening to... When I first heard it, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of music theory. It was more like, oh, I quite like that. That, that plays to my well, weakness. Well, you, you can have this one on the condition that when we organise the cruises around the lagoon, you give us all a lecture <laughs> on why we're wrong to, like, four-chord loop schlager. <laughs> Accepted. Uh, OK. Well, I mean, when will, those, when will those trips start? I mean, how much time have I got to prepare that sort of Well, you're on the island now. OK, so I've got as much time... <laughs> <laughs> okay, your next record, uh, we're taking us, uh, well, we're having a, a deep cut now. <laughs> we're going to A Song for Europe, 1987, and it's Everybody by Mal Pope. So I was four. Okay, right, <laughs> just so that we're clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fine. So you won't, be, won't have been aware of that. Is this the first time that you've heard it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Everybody's saying it's so hard to make a living. Enough to make a grown man cry Everybody's talking About taking and not giving Save yourself the trouble And go sleeping dogs alive Too many times I've tried to change the world The egg on my face That old story rings true I just said everybody Everybody, everybody needs somebody I get the feeling that you need Oh, there's a face there that says Oh just explain to me why you like it. <laughs> You've said so much without saying very much. Um, I like it because it's better than the song that represented the UK in 1987. Oh. So that's, that's, that's number one. Um, so the song that represented the UK in 1987, I really hope I've got this right, was Ricky with two Ks um, singing Only the Light. And I just... It was a bit. It felt a bit weak, and it also ended quite weakly. Um, is weakly a word? Weakly uh, is, is that acceptable? No, yeah. As in W E A K. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know whether that's. Um, it didn't end with strength. No, no, indeed. 
it was quite weak when it came to an end. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't really like Ricky's song. And I didn't really like the way that his name was spelled. I realised that that is irrelevant, uh, but I didn't like that. Um, well, when you're sending somebody to Eurovision, you're sending the whole package, their name and all. Yes. I just... I, I, something about the double K in his name that I just found quite annoying. Um, Apologies to all Rickies with a double K yes, who might be yeah, listening. He's just, I'm just knocking them out of the park now, aren't I? Every time. No friends left. No. Nope. Uh, it's fine. I'm an introvert. I don't need other people. Um, so, the song. How about I just concentrate on the song yes. instead of ins- insulting other people? Uh, <clears throat> caveat number one first. Let me just go through the caveats. Is um, He is a terrible dancer. If you look at the video of him on the Song for Europe... Um, I thought that was the just the 80s. No. <laughs> no, it really wasn't just yet. He is, he is a terrible dancer. He looks extremely awkward. Um, he's wearing an outfit which uh, obviously somebody thought was a good idea. Um, and it looks terrible. And he's wearing glasses that are not really that great. Uh, and he's also got um, someone playing mouth organ in the background who needs to get his hair cut really I mean the whole yeah if we're talking about whole packages it's not great in terms of a visual package and uh, yet and yet <laughs> uh, and yet uh, I just think the sound uh, that the song sounds more polished I think it is um, it has a distinct beginning middle and an end it is heartfelt uh, and it's a more satisfying listen than only the light um is it only the light? Have I been calling it only the light? Or is it only the night? Sorry, bear with, because that would be bad. Only the light. Only that's the fine. light. So I got it right. I'm right. fine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's why I like it. It's simple, and he looks rather sweet, really. And um, it's just a more polished song. And I got in touch with him afterwards. And I got in touch with him last year when I was working at the BBC uh, because he was a, he's a BBC local radio pre- presenter. Okay. Uh, and I dropped him a line and said, oh, you know, I just got, finally discovered this video on YouTube. Uh, and just wanted to you know, I really liked it. Really liked the song. You know, typical sort of fanboy type thing to say. Uh, and he appeared to be quite touched that anybody had even found it, let alone enjoyed listening to it. I don't know, I don't know whether I'm alone in liking it. I don't hear many other people talking about it. Um, well, it's certainly know. the first time I've heard it. Well, that's great, I think. Can I have it? Yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You're very I'm, generous. You're I'm, very... I'm sufficiently confused, and mainly I want to get through to the next one, <laughs> which I think, I think this song has ruined my life. OK, I'm... Yeah, I can see why. OK. So, after we've accepted everybody, we'll move but... on to... <laughs> a record um, which it didn't even make the competitive rounds of A Song for no. Europe 1969 it's called Try It and See and it's what's her name Rita Rita Pavone Rita Pavone and well let's have a listen <laughs> and the musical buffs among you may find this hauntingly familiar Try it with me You could be so good for me I could give you energy Your love is for free Won't you try it and see 
Or shall I? <laughs> I think you should do some explaining first. Okay, so this song took me on a voyage of discovery, which, which has ended in an obsession, which I hope is going to be fleeting. So this song, as you've just heard, is hauntingly familiar to fans of Jesus Christ Superstar, who will recognize it as Herod's song. And you will think, what? What, how, how? And it turns out it's actually very easy. Um, this Triton C number um, was, first, was first written for Rita Pavone or somebody else by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, bunged onto the B-side of her single mm -hmm. and entered in a song for Europe. Only it didn't. It um, didn't oh, quite yeah. make it to a song like, for Europe. Well, it, it got on somebody's desk and didn't make it to the TV. Um, was it actually on TV then, or was no, it a radio I don't think competition? It was. I no, I don't think it even made it. Oh, I see. Uh, no, I think it was on television then. Okay. I'm sure people will contact you if I've got that wrong. Okay. I'm sure they will. People tend to do that. Uh, 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 address the pitchforks to John, not me. <laughs> um, so, two years later, they've repurposed it with lyrics that don't quite scan in their... Well, I don't know either thing that started it all or thing for which it all can be blamed, <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. So if you've ever, ever wondered why Herod's song doesn't scan, this is why. Although I think Herod's song scans better than, than that does. I'm sure he says, pointing at the, at the device on the desk. Um, I think it's... Try uh, it and see. I, I mean, the lyrics are awful. And actually, the music is Try awful. Try what and <laughs> see. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Uh, I think the line for me, um, you know, you could give me energy, why don't you try it and see, is... I just, well, it's basically it's, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. it's, it is a terrible song, and musically it doesn't hold up. And uh, as a, I think as a, yeah, as a, as a song, it's not great. My reason for bringing it today is because um, my first musical experience as in performing, classical music has always been very important to me and the reason it's been important to me is because my, my formative classical music experience was playing in an orchestra at a concert hall in East Suffolk called Snape Maltings, uh, which was essentially the brainchild of composer Benjamin Britten, who came from the county that I come from too. And I remember being taken to this concert hall I played tenor saxophone I went on stage and I played this solo and it was the first time that I had played a solo in a hall like that and I heard the sound reverberate the, the, the hall is if you've not been there the hall is stripped brickwork um, exposed wood uh, I mean it's gorgeous to look at and when you're there in the center of the stage uh, and you've got all the lights on the stage and you hear this sound reverberating around the auditorium, it was the most amazing thing. Uh, and I played the solo in this awful, awful Andrew Lloyd Webber medley, can you imagine? A medley of Andrew Lloyd Webber songs. Uh, and King Herod's song was the saxophone solo. 
and and it did really blow me away because I had never heard my own playing. Um, my perception of my own playing was up until that stage something that was in my own head. So to hear it, it's like, oh my god, it sounds amazing. It was only later when I started researching a book about the Eurovision, I ended up interviewing Tim Rice and discovering that uh, this King Herod song was previously a Eurovision effort that had never been um, never been selected and I found that connection between uh, what is essentially a classical music venue and the Eurovision utterly utterly delicious because it brought two worlds that are really important to me uh, crashing together uh, and even now when I go and talk to you know when I talk to PRs about classical music stuff they'll they'll always look at me with sort of like what well, how is it that you love the Eurovision and you love classical music too um, uh, that's what this song represents although interestingly having put it on the list I have to tell you I cannot listen to it in its entirety because it is, it is awful it is a terrible song well <laughs> this song has possibly ruined my life it's certainly okay. ruined my weekend because okay. when when i was researching this interview <laughs> i i uh I, I was googling for a version of herod's song on youtube and i chanced upon rick mayall oh. doing it oh. and i was like oh like, what production was Rick Mayall playing Herod in? Surely it must be full and of... And you'd also have certain expectations. If it's Rick Mayall, he would understand what the, what the character is and would be able to perform it in that way. Well, he was good. <clears throat> so it turns out Rick Mayall's King Herod is from uh, a 2000 movie, I'm definitely making some air quotes here, version of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, which I don't know why they made it possibly for hanging on to film rights, possibly as part of some one of those film funding schemes. Uh, but it was made largely with unknown French actors, not all of whom were singers. And it's all up on YouTube in its entirety, and it is compellingly bad. <laughs> it is the room of musical theatre. Uh, okay. It is... It is if, as if somebody had placed a static camera in front of a mid-90s amateur dramatics troupe having a game stab at Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> a game stab. That's, yeah. That's the review then. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is... So Judas looks like Keith Allen and wears a ja leather jacket. Right. Uh, Jesus, tarty blonde wig, does a lot of pouting. Oh. Mary Magdalene says ointment a lot. Oh, <laughs> Uh, but this this film version of Jesus Christ Superstar, which I've only discovered because you wanted because to bring this, this benighted oh, record oh to Ilda Besançon, oh. is so bad I might have to organise viewing parties. I'm I'm hearing quite a lot of passion in your voice at the moment, which suggests that that this is something that we just need well, to forget is, about. There is another matter <laughs> in okay, the fact right. that you've tried to bring nine records. Uh, yeah. So yeah. one of these records is going to get binned, <laughs> and I'm afraid it's this one. Denied. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> and we'll never speak of this yeah, again. No, no, we don't need to. Now let's move on to something actually truly, really lovely. Let's have your fifth record, Where Are You? by Imani, representing the UK on home soil in 1998. Where are you? 
wonderful pop song. Uh, I loved it. Loved it. And actually, I love the live performance of it. Um, I love the polish of the backing vocals. Um, and actually, I think this is a better song than the song that won it for the UK the year before. Um, it feels more like a pop song. It doesn't really have very many... Aside from the fact that it was performed at Eurovision, it doesn't feel like a Eurovision song at all. It's actually a pop song of its time. It yeah. was it was yeah. a big hit. It was on it was on the Now compilation for that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, it was a few months after... So when it, when it was uh, selected, that was a few months after I had moved to London and it was only a couple of months after I'd come out uh, I had met my partner, who I'm still with now, uh, and at that point I hadn't told him that I really liked the Eurovision. I told him about loads of classical music stuff, but I hadn't told him that I really liked the Eurovision and that um, in storage I had multiple video cassettes, VHS, the VHS, comes <laughs> the VHS um, and that, you know, if I was going to move into his rather tasty flat in Clapham, then we were going to have to find a shelf to put the VHS cassettes on. Um, I hadn't told him that. And uh, I moved in. The cassettes hadn't arrived. And he came home from work one day and he said, oh, I've just, I've just got to play you this single. I've just, I've just found this single. Uh, and I really like it. And it was Where Are You? And, uh, and that was before the contest. That... that Proceeded, you know, that that gave me the permission to then go right. Well, I just need to tell you this, that, <laughs> and the other. Are we still moving in together? Um, so it has a, you know, there is a personal connection there. That, um, and up until that point, he claims uh, he's five years older than me. He he claims that he had never he'd never watched the Eurovision before. And also, he didn't realise at that stage that lots of gay men find the Eurovision really you know, fun and exciting. So that was a bit... It's, it, it triggers quite a lot of happy memories, really, Aww. this. Yes. I've, I've been on the other side of the uh, moving-in VHS tapes situation. OK. I, uh, made As my... in you've had to clear space on a shelf? No, no, I made my husband throw out all of Babylon 5 on VHS. <gasps> well, good Because it's you. available. <laughs> it's available on DVD. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, no, Simon has had that approach as well. It's like every now and again, he will clear out things that are on old formats because, you know... Well, you can stream that now. You don't need the DVD. That's, that's, his, that's his mentality. I don't know. I, I need another... I need to... I can only do it once there's two formats... Okay. Ah, oh, so you so, need something that you could, you need a backup format. Yes. Right. Yes. So, even though we've got streaming now, I won't chuck DVDs away. But obviously, VHS dead. <laughs> yes. Burn them. So of course we'll accept him, Arnie. Okay, it's one great. of the UK's best ever songs. And very few people talk. I don't think people talk about it very much, really. I mean, I know I know within the Eurovision circles people talk about it, but outside of it, I think for those people who come to the Eurovision on a Saturday night. Um, UK audiences would probably be almost surprised that this was a Eurovision song. Record six. We're heading into the new millennium. <laughs> with Finally. Ice with Iceland's 2003 song, Open Your Heart by Birgitta. Every time you close your eyes I can see the light that you're hiding Like a shadow
Uh, so, um, this was this was the song which opened the contest in 2003. Uh, 2003 was the first time that I'd gone to the contest, and I'd only gone to the contest because I'd met a songwriter about a month before who said to me, if you're going to write a book about the Eurovision, you absolutely can't do that unless you've actually been to one. And up until that conversation... It hadn't even dawned on me that I would even want to go to the Eurovision. Did you think of it as something that you couldn't go to? Did you think, well, I mean, like, because your first Eurovision is kind of like my first Eurovision. Like, you were invited and it hadn't occurred to you until the point where you were invited. Yes. That it was a thing that yes, you were, exactly. could yeah. attend. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, it hadn't, it hadn't dawned on me at all. And, um, and when he mentioned it, I remember thinking... Well, it's a television programme. I mean, I realise that there's an audience there, but it's a television programme. That's, that's why I ended they, up... They get the audience from the shed. They buy them in, from they the buy shed, them in, right? don't they? I mean, why do I need to go out there? Surely I don't understand what I'm going to see. And I had absolutely no idea what, as just like many other people who go to the Eurovision for the first time, I had no idea what I was going to see. And I remember um, being completely blown away by the atmosphere, the sort of spirit of the thing and and actually going to the hall for the final show um, uh, people were just sort of because it's quite close to the center of Riga it was walkable you didn't have to get public transport uh, to the hall and uh, like a couple of hours beforehand there were just thousands of people just walking to the hall and I remember being swept along by this this feeling of my god there are so many other people who want to go to this i don't i don't get it um and and this was the opening song and it's again a bit like imani's song it's satisfying and it's polished and it's it's not obviously eurovision at all uh, and and actually, in, in a running order where quite a lot of the live vocals were pretty awful, not just the UK's, although ours was the worst, um, and some of the onstage performances and the onstage costumes just looked almost like an Amdram thing, um, this was pretty well polished. It's nice. It's a satisfying listen. Accepted. Thanks. Moving on now to Armenia's 2009 spectacular It's Jan Jan by Inga and Anush. Everybody get your finger lasers ready. up with the Norpar. <laughs> um, did they have finger lasers then? Yes. Is, that where those, is that what that lasery thing was? Yeah, right. like high power laser pointers on your fingers. Uh, I get the impression that you're quite excited about this. Yes. Can you tell me why? And we'll see whether we agree. Um, 
I mean, I know that's sort of breaking the rules of what we're doing here. Well, no, I'm going to persuade you that I should be allowed this. But. Well, I mean, you know, I'm already halfway persuaded because it's Jan Jan. <laughs> um, you can dance to it. It's fun. Right. Um, it's highly singable. It's mm -hmm. call and response. Mm -hmm. uh, frocks. <laughs> frocks. Frocks and finger lasers. Why do you like it? Uh, do you know, I... Well, first of all, I like it because I remember hearing it for the first time and, and just instantly liking it. And then I got an email from a colleague of mine who was working on the Eurovision website, the BBC Eurovision website at the time, who just happened to drop into, into the email how much he really liked it as well. And it was completely unbidden. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I've just heard this. Uh, what do you think, Paul? Um, he, just, he just told me that. And actually, that's probably the first moment, even though it's quite late in Eurovision history, it's probably the first moment when I thought, actually, this contest does have um, the ability to come up with songs which are plausible and satisfying and sort of subvert the assumptions that people have about Eurovision songs and that was because because both of us me and Paul had independently said oh no actually this is really good really like it uh, that sort of proved it for me that this was this was a key song second thing for me um, and I can't really put my finger on what it is but there's something really there's something really empowering about it. Uh, and I mean in terms of the fact that it's two women on stage, owning the stage, um, delivering a powerful song and doing it in what looks like authentic outfits or has, it has an authentic stage look. versions uh, of... Um, but it, but it, has, it has a strong appearance and it doesn't look like it's... Um, it doesn't denigrate it, and it's a it's a strong song for two women to sing. I can't. I, I don't really feel as though I've articulated that right. It's, but a, it's a sisters' yes, song. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's one of the relationships that we don't actually see on stage. Sort of sisterly solidarity. And I don't know. I have sisters. I, yes. And I think that might be part of appreciating Jan Jan. You know, the sort of. All girls together. Yeah, without it being sort of overt or contrived, you know, without that message being contrived, yeah. there's just something really quite solid about it. Um, and again, it's a song <clears throat> for me that doesn't, even though it clearly looks staged, doesn't look like your typical Eurovision song. It's a radio hit yeah. or a radio type hit. Excellent whooping as well. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, so, of course, you can have Jan Jan. Right, OK. Your last song. Pasha Parvani's magnum opus, Lautar, Moldova 2012. So this is as up to date as you're going to come. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, it takes a bit of, it's a bit like a fine wine, you know, a Eurovision song takes a bit of time. 
before it can be accepted into my playlist. Okay. So, you know, 2017 will probably make it onto the playlist. 2019. Okay. Maybe not a fine wine. Maybe just like a, a mid-range. Anyway, let's, let's go on. A £10... A £10 Waitrose. Yes, yes, yes. Eurovision is like a £10 Waitrose wine. <laughs> just give it a couple of years. Uh, so... Lauter. Oh, uh, yes. Um, I get the impression that I'm going to have to sell this a little harder because I'm not sure that many people like this. Ah, it's all right. Um, I've, I've heard worse from Moldova. I... I love its commitment to detail. I love its choreography. I love the fact that it's um, incredibly fun. And when you see it on stage in Azerbaijan, it's uh, on video. It's it's people having a laugh, and the and the choreography is very tight. Um, and it's pantomime. It's it's shameless pantomime, but it's done very well, uh, and it has an air of sophistication about it. Um, musically, it's not terribly satisfying. Yeah, I, like it does sort of stick out on this list of you know songs that you're going to give lectures on music theory about. <laughs> it yeah, does have more yeah. in common with Try It and See than it does with Dance Face. Um, I think that probably what links them he says looking at the list and making sure that i'm not going to make myself look like a a fool is that uh, there's an element of the eurovision which is really quite appealing to me and that is the fact that it's uh, eurovision performers are, are usually on a massive stage and they're usually in the center of a massive stage and they have all of this space and they have all of these people looking at them so it's an incredibly potent moment and um, and that particular song is is a sort of a present day illustration of of being in the middle of a stage and having and having all of that attention thrown on you. And I love that. I find that that's almost something that I want to touch. It's almost something that I would like to do. I do not want to do it. I don't think that I can perform in any way. I certainly can't dance but it is tantalising and beguiling and alluring, and, um, and that's a good example of it. To, to a lot of people, Eurovision does look like somebody under a single spot on a massive yeah. stage, like, gripped with emotion. Yes. And, yeah, that's your list of songs. Yeah. And it ends with Pasha Parvani doing <laughs> a version of that. But having fun and clearly having fun, and also, you know, what a what a terrible place to have to sing from, last in the running order, and and surely going into it knowing that this really isn't going to go anywhere. And it's yeah, the middle a, of the night. Yeah, absolutely, and we all want this to be over. Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough call, and and that that plays into that moment for me. Okay, accepted. Okay, fine. So you've got eight records and eight, one okay. in the bin. Yeah, and, and fair enough, fair enough, I accept that. It's not even a Eurovision song. Uh, would you like to tell me about a luxury you would like to import to the island? You were supposed to have thought about this. When you say one luxury... Yeah, as long as you can fit it in one shipping crate. How big is a shipping crate? Quite big. Is it like one of those things that you put on the back of a lorry? Yeah. Right, OK. Uh, then what I would probably bring with me is an orchestra with music. Are you shaking your head? I'm rolling my <laughs> I mean, eyes a bit. But I would, but because I, I would bring an orchestra and every member of the orchestra would um, bring their own music stand. 
and the music stands can fold up, so there's, they're not going to take up very much room. Are you stacking the musicians in this? No, shipping? no, they can they can all stand. They okay. can all stand in the shipping container. Um, so I bring an orchestra, and I would set about orchestrating the songs from 2000 to 2017, because I'm probably going to be on the island for a long time, and I don't do the fishing thing. Right. I don't do, you know, I'm not... So you're going to bring culture to the island? Uh, well, <laughs> let's not stretch too far. Uh, I'm going to set it... In order to occupy my time, I will orchestrate um, the songs from 2000 to 2017, and then I'll get the orchestra to play them. I can't wait for Hard Rock Hallelujah. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge. Um, well... I think we'd probably quite like to have an orchestra on Ile de Besançon anyway, because you know, it's gonna it's gonna get very schlagery here, <laughs> and we need something to counteract that. And we also uh, need to be able to say when people say during the Eurovision season, bring back the orchestra. We need to be able to say, no, yeah. they're on Ile de Besançon forever now. They're not coming back. They're orchestrating Hard Rock Hallelujah with John Jacob for eternity. Yeah, it's going to take a long, long time. So, yes, you can have a whole orchestra. <laughs> you can have as much orchestra as you can fit into a shipping container. Um, are there any of your records you want to give a sort of honorary douze poids to? Uh, Dance fees. No doubt about that. Nice. Not even any hesitation. Absolutely no hesitation at all. Okay. Superb. I think we're done here. You can go and take your orchestra and enjoy the island. Come along. Let's go. Thanks. Thank you, John Jacob, for being our Eurovision castaway this week. Is there anything you would like to plug? Um, my website about classical music, thoroughlygood.me. And you can follow me at Thoroughly Good on Twitter. So I've been Ellie Chalkley at the customs desk on Ile de Besançon for ESC Insights Eurovision Castaways. Now bring on the guitars. (laughs) 